Why do I have to? And fill in the blank. It's a question that we ask as, almost as soon as we can talk. Why do I have to brush my teeth? Why do I have to, do I have to wash my hands? We get a little bit older and the questions get a little, bit, little, little more complicated. Why do I have to be in back of the house by, you know, why do I have to be in bed by? Get a little bit older and we ask more profound questions. Why do I have to turn the other cheek? Why do I have to love my enemies? Why do I have to suffer, Lord? Why? Well, this morning we come to, to a, at first blush, a rather ad, odd passage in the Bible here. And when we first read it, our initial response is probably why. I mean, it kind of tells us why, but, but you're thinking, really, why? Why did God ask all these men to be circumcised? Well, you begin by, I asked this question all the other services, haven't got a response yet. How many of you have heard a, a message where the main topic was circumcision? Anybody? <laughs> Nobody? There's one. You want to come preach? I haven't, this is the first time for me. No? Uh, okay, we have one. He's the first one. It's kind of a, a different topic, but we're going to look at it together. And, and we're sitting here this morning, and we have some distance from this, this situation. We have some questions, but we're asking them from the safety of our pews, right? But the questions that the men of Israel and the young men of Israel would have been asking would have been a lot more practical or personal, kind of close to home. Uh, it's one thing to discuss God's commands and wonder what his purposes would be uh, in the classroom or in the synagogue. It's another thing to discuss it when it has an impact directly upon you. You're being asked to do something and you're asked to, be, to do it now. You want me to do what? They must have thought. Why? Now today we're continuing our sermon series from the book of Joshua entitled Promised Land Living. And if you're new, let me kind of get you up to speed. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at uh, different chapters in the book of Joshua. The first week, chapter 1, God gives his marching orders to the people of, of Israel. He tells them to be strong and courageous, and he tells them to trust in him that he will win the battle. In chapter 2, we looked at the, the powerful story of Rahab, who was a prostitute. She, she helped the Israelite spies who snuck into the city of Jericho to kind of do recon. And, and we, we heard of how, because of her help and her belief that God was their God, the, the Israelite God, was the real God, because of that, we saw how she was saved because she hung a scarlet robe, thread, rope out of her window. And how that point is the blood of Christ, which would save all who trust in him. We saw how she was accepted into the family of God, despite her past as a prostitute, and how, because of, and how because of Christ, that all of us who trust in Christ, no matter what we've done, no matter who we are, we can be accepted into the family of God. And then last week we looked at chapter 3, this, this cool story, this miraculous story where God parts the waters of the, of the Jordan River at flood stage, the people move through to the other side, and, and then we come to this great scene in chapter 4, which we're going to do next week. So we're coming to chapter 5 first. And, and the reason is because we're going to do something later in the service, not a circumcision, that's going to really, that's going to match up well with what we're doing here. Okay. Can't believe I said that, but I did. So, so, okay. Won't ask for any volunteers. So, and, and then we read this. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise Israelites. And it says again, He's not talking about doing it twice. He's saying, you did it years ago in Egypt. Now do it for these, this generation. And, and, and we're given, and it spells out the reason why in the story, at least on the surface. 
And basically it's saying, you remember when the Israelites um, came to the promised land the first time? Forty years early, they come to the Jordan River. They send out spies. The spies come back. Ten of them say, we can't do this. We just can't do this. Two of them say, we can. They listen to the ten. And because of that, they're sent back into the desert to wander for 40 more years. And it tells us that all of the men who had not believed, all the men of military age, died in the desert. They disobeyed and they paid the cost. And so all these, these men and boys who had been born during those 40 years were not circumcised. And it says because the people were disobedient and did not follow God's instructions for circumcision. And now because their parents didn't follow God's law, these men, some of them as old as 40 years old, are undergoing a painful procedure. They must have thought, I'm 40 years old. I'm a man. Maybe think of, you know, Mike Gundy. Remember what he did? Oklahoma State. Remember, any of you remember that? Yeah, okay, never mind. He, so he was at a press conference. He said, I'm 40 years old. I'm a man. You know, something like that. But anyhow, the point here is that when parents don't follow God's law, the children almost always suffer because of it, even when they grow into adults. Usually not physically, like in this story, but in other ways. Now, none of us are perfect as parents, of course. We, we, we all fall short of that. That's why we need the Lord and his truth so desperately, because without his direction, without his help and his truth, without obedience to his word, our children will often endure the consequences of our, our poor choices and our lack of obedience. Anyway, back to the story. No doubt some of these Israelite men would have questioned, do we really need to do this? They would have questioned it, and I guess they, were, they weren't too thrilled about it. But, to their credit, we're told in verse 8 that they, that they did. They obeyed. It says, after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Now, you know, it's okay. When God asks us to do something, it's okay sometimes to, to wonder why. It's okay to, to question, to ask questions. But when the rubber hits the road, the key is to go ahead and follow his commands, even when it involves pain of some kind. And, and that's really true obedience, isn't it? So the theme of circumcision and its importance for the Israelite people is found throughout the whole Bible. It's all over the place. It begins in Genesis, Genesis chapter 17. Can we put those verses up there now? Genesis chapter 17, verse 3. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Before we get to the part about circumcision, this is a, this is a really cool passage here. Now, Abraham was the father of Israel, and, and, and Abraham was called out of a place called Ur, which is kind of present-day uh, uh, Iraq. And, and he's called out and told to come to this place called Canaan, and this is where he's living when Genesis 17 is, is spoken to him. And so God's people have now come full circle because Canaan is the promised land. That's where they, they just crossed the Jordan. They're standing in the promised land. It's where they had come from originally when they were pulled out of, into, out of, into slavery in Egypt for over 400 years earlier. And again, there's a, there's a cool parallel here. 
Because the human race, we're all on the same journey. We started in a perfect place, a wonderful place, before there was sin, a place the Bible calls the Garden of Eden. And as God's people, God is taking us on a journey back there, despite our sin, back to the promised land, where his people will again be with him in a perfect place and live with him forever. So, moving on to the part about circumcision, verse 10 in this Genesis 17. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, every male among you should be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. You know, this May 12th, um, Nancy and I are going to celebrate our 24th wedding anniversary. And on the day we got married in this country church uh, in rural Minnesota, we made vows to each other. We made promises to each other. We, we in a sense, established a covenant. And I said something like, I, Doug, take you, Nancy, to be my wife. And I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in joy and sorrow, for as long as we both shall live. And Nancy said the same thing back to me. She said, I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to, to be your loving and faithful wife. And for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, in joy and sorrow, to make you lots of fruit pies and give you back rubs, <laughs> as long as we both shall live. No, see, I wish she would have said that, but no. But she didn't. I should have slipped that in there somehow. And after we gave our vows to each other, we gave rings to each other. And those rings were a symbol. They were a sign of the covenant that we were making with each other. And you might notice, Doug, you're not wearing a wedding ring. Well, I can't because three weeks ago I was playing basketball with the guys and I was guarding Paul. He threw a ball. I tried to intercept it and jam my finger. I can't get the ring back on. He did it on purpose, I think. He said he was sorry. Uh, but uh, if we weren't short-staffed, I'd fire him. But, <laughs> but uh, count yourself lucky, Paul. So, so in a sense, circumcision is like a wedding ring. Well, no, it's not. Never mind. But, but, but circumcision was, was a sign, a symbol of the covenant that God made with his people. And unlike some covenants... And sadly, like some marriages that don't last, God says in Genesis 17, my covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Circumcision wasn't meant to be only a physical act of obedience. It was meant to point to something else, a new life, a new relationship with God, our creator. It symbolized a cutting off of the old life in the beginning of the new life, a better life with God through Christ. It was to be a reminder of the promises of God. We see the promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I will make you into a great nation. Can we put that up there as well, Genesis chapter 12? I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then God elaborates more about this covenant in Jeremiah 31, where he says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest 
for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. What a great closing sentence. I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. And so circumcision for the Israelites was to remind them of God's great promises of the covenant that he had established with Abraham, the covenant that he has renewed over the years with his people in, in the Old Testament. And in circumcision, they were taking a step of obedience. They were setting themselves apart. They were consecrating themselves in a sense, committing themselves to be a different and distinct people. First Peter 2 says they were to, that we are called to be a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, there's a lot more to be said about circumcision in the Bible. You're probably thinking, Doug, I've heard enough. But I want to hit upon one more aspect of it. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, in particular, has a lot to say about this topic. And it makes sense because, after all, we know he was a very, very zealous Jewish man. He wanted to keep everything to the letter of the law. That was before he met Christ. He would have known how significant circumcision was for God's people. In his letters, he talks about it quite a bit. In Romans 4, he writes how circumcision is a mark of God's grace where God chooses and calls out and marks his people as his own. And in the book of Galatians, circumcision is at the center of the whole letter because there's a controversy kind of raging in the church in Galatia about what to do with non-Jewish or Gentile believers and converts in Christ. And some of the Jewish believers said, well, these Gentile Christians, now they've found Christ, they also need to be circumcised. But Paul has a very strong adverse reaction to that. And he essentially says, if you require Gentile Christians to be circumcised, you are diminishing, even negating what Christ did for you on the cross. And he practically screams off the letters of his, the pages of his letter that we are saved only by Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross and that nothing else needs to be added, not even circumcised. Otherwise, we're saved by our works and not by faith. That's a sobering reminder to us because I really truly believe that one of the greatest lies that we can buy into is that we can add something to what Christ has done for us. You know, something to kind of tip the scales in our direction. Good works, church attendance, giving, service, good person, good neighbor. And while we're called to do good works and we are rewarded for our good works, we're not saved by them. There's a huge difference. And that difference makes all the difference in the world in eternity. Finally, one last passage. Colossians 2, also written by Paul. We'll read this passage as well, Colossians 2. In him, talking about Christ, in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. He's talking about a spiritual circumcision here. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. You see, circumcision was not really about the physical act. It was, it was about the heart. It's about a dying to self. It's about letting go of the old, getting rid of the excess, 
and giving yourself completely to God. The Israelites should have known this because in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, which is before Joshua 5, we find this. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. So what God's word is telling us is that is when the Holy Spirit draws us to Christ and when we respond in faith and trust in him and him alone, in a sense, we're spiritually circumcised. We become a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And we are marked forever as God's child, a part of his everlasting covenant. And as we know in the New Testament, there's a new covenant that God establishes with his people through his son, Jesus Christ. A fulfillment of the old one, a better one. Through Christ, we can come to God the Father directly by faith. We don't have to jump through religious hoops. We can come to Christ, to, to the Father directly through faith in Jesus Christ. And just as circumcision was a sign of God's people in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, baptism, baptism is a sign of being a part of God's family, of being in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're coming full circle because there are nine individuals who are being baptized this morning. There are four in, in the earlier services, five in just a moment. Four adults, three teens, and, and two children. And they have put their trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They believe that what he's done on the cross for them is sufficient and sufficient alone. They believe that they're saved by his grace. And we celebrate with them the reality and the promise that their sins have been washed away and they've been raised up to new life in this life, but also will be raised up in the next. They have been marked. They will be marked by baptism as part of God's family. God will keep his covenant to them. He will keep his covenant to us because our God is a faithful God. And when we are unfaithful, he is still faithful to us. And we celebrate that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that, um, that you have called people of all generations and ages to be a part of your family. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you call us into relationship with you. And that when we respond in faith, you, you spiritually, in a sense, circumcise our hearts. We become a new creation. We become a new vessel, a new person. Lord, we, we, we want to consecrate ourselves for your purposes. We want to offer ourselves to you today. We celebrate with those who are about to be baptized, and we thank you for the work you've done in their lives and for the response to it. And Lord, as we, as we sing and as we observe and we celebrate these baptisms, Lord, we also want to commit ourselves to you again. We offer our hands, our feet, our minds, our hearts, our whole body, we offer them to you for your purposes. We set ourselves apart. Take our life, Lord. Let it be consecrated unto you. Amen.